Let me ask you guys a question. Who has seen, and if this goes against your convictions a little bit, I apologize, but um, has anyone seen National Lampoon Vacation? Yeah, you guys have seen that? Who, come on, raise your hand. Don't be shy. This is, I know you're, you're Christian, but some of you are a little too Christian for that. Um, <laughs> there we go. There they are. So you got the Griswolds, right? You guys remember that story? So just, I just kind of want to, you know, we're starting a new sermon series called Summer Break. And, uh, you know, when does your summer start? Like unofficially, it could be Memorial Day weekend. Um, some of you, your summer starts as soon as your kids get out of school. Um, officially, I think summer starts uh, on June 21st at like 12.45 a.m. or something like that officially. But, uh, but as we prepare for summer, um, I just thought we'd have a little fun. Um, anybody know the story about Clark Griswold and his beautiful family? Um, well, they're excited. Um, well, Clark is excited because he wants his family to bond. So they're going to go from Chicago and they're going to make a trip cross-country all the way to um, uh, Southern California and they're going to visit America's favorite family fun park. Y'all remember? The, who remembers the name of that place? Wally World. We know that's a spinoff of Disneyland, right? And, and, and Clark has this great idea. We're, gonna, no, we're not going to fly. <laughs> we're going to drive cross country. And in this great idea, um, the idea is just that it's great. But the whole trip, if you've watched the show, it's a nightmare. You remember that? It starts off with a rental car. Uh, they end up renting like this greasy station wagon and uh, all the way through they lose their credit cards they don't have cash the station wagon gets vandalized do you guys remember this story right they're trying to figure out how to pay for it to get it fixed they get it fixed and it breaks down in the middle of the desert um, but but besides that you remember they picked up grumpy aunt edna and her mean dog and they literally have to take aunt edna from place to place and drop her off you remember what happens to the grumpy dog um, Clark accidentally ties the leash outside of the car and drags the dog. For all you animal lovers, I apologize. And drags the dog and kills the dog accidentally. Um, and to make mad matters worse, um, Aunt Edna dies in the car, in the back seat with the kids. And what they end up having to do is they tie her to the top of the roof uh, because the kids are kind of feeling awkward. I know this is a little disrespectful. And then they drop Aunt Edna off. But Clark doesn't want to be, he doesn't want to be late to this vacation. They got a place to be. And so uh, they leave Aunt Edna on the porch because her son's not home. And it rains. And they wrap her up. And it's just, it, it gets, it's terrible. And, um, and so this vacation that Mr. Griswold was so excited to be a part with his family is a nightmare. And they're about to kill each other. And finally... A ray of sunshine, they arrive to Wally World. And so I got a clip I'd like to show you guys of their arrival to Wally World. And make, ready? Let's do it. First one's here. First one's here. First one's here. But we're so far away, Clark. Right, right. And at the end of the day, when the lot's all full and everybody's fighting to get out of here, we'll be the first ones out, too, right? Why? Because we're the Griswolds. <laughs> Come on, I'll race you.
Sorry, folks. We're closed for two weeks to clean and repair America's favorite family fun park. Sorry. Clark, what are you doing? We watch his program. Buy his toys, we go to his movies. He owes us. Doesn't he owe us? Huh? <laughs> we watch his movies, we buy his toys. He owes us. Um, not that funny? All right. Got a lot to work on here. Um, but <laughs> I think I have a pair of those shorts, by the way. Um, <laughs> all right. Now, dads, <laughs> moms, aunties, uncles, grandparents, we've been there before, haven't we? Um, we've made summer plans. We've invested time and money only to be let down because it didn't really go the way we planned it, right? It didn't work out the way that we imagined it, right? You thought the kids were going to be excited and everyone's arguing. It's just a, just a mess, huh? Anybody ever been a part of that? Um, maybe, you know, anyways. Um, I, here's, here's the point of why I show that today. Um, this is what we've decided to do. We've decided to prepare you for summer break by reminding you that as summer approaches, are you ready for this? Be careful not to allow the vacation culture to affect your next steps in your faith. My hope and my prayer is that as you plan for summer, and please plan for it, that you'd also plan for your discipleship with the same enthusiasm and excitement as you plan to get away. I didn't think I'd get a lot of amens or claps on that. But you know how excited you get when you're about to go somewhere, when you're about to leave this place. And I just would hope that we would get enthusiastic about growing in Christ over the summer. And so what we've done is we've just kind of put a little mini-series. It's a three-week mini-series. Then we're going to head into Father's Day. We'll celebrate Father's Day with a Mission Sunday outlook. And then we're going to send a bunch of people to the Philippines. And we're going to head into our summer. But we put in a three-week mini-series I hope you would join us for. And uh, this morning, this series is entitled uh, Summer Break In. And uh, we're going to just talk about what are some holy habits that we can create and cultivate in the summer uh, so that this summer can be one of our greatest growth periods in Christ. How, much, how, how would you like to walk out of this summer and look back and say, man, I grew in Christ more in that summer than I've grown any other time in my life? Amen. So if you have your Bibles, we're literally going to park in one verse. And I, you know, I know I don't do that much. Um, and you know what's crazy is the longer the chapter, the shorter the message. <laughs> we're, we're just in a verse. So if you could open up to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, just a little bit of context of where we're going. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends into heaven. And he says, hey, don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. He instructs them to pray and wait. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls. 120 people are filled with the Spirit, and the church of God is birthed out. In fact, Peter preaches a message, and 3,000 people get saved in one day. Can you imagine that? It goes from a church of about 120 to 3,000 in one day. Can you imagine next Sunday we come back to church and there are 3,000 people in here? Now that's church, amen? And so, uh, so Peter stands up. He preaches this message. People get saved. And so now we're going to read verse 42 together. Do you have it? If you have it, will you just kind of wave at me and say Amen. All right, let's do this, um, and we'll, we'll have it up here, too, for you. Uh, verse 42 says this, and they, and if you're an underliner, a highlighter, or just a reminder, take note of this, and they, circle highlight, devoted themselves, and they is referring to 3,120 people that just met, that just became a church after the day of Pentecost. It says, and they devoted themselves. Now, what did they devote themselves to? Are you ready? Number one, underline, the apostles' teaching. Number two, and fellowship. 
Number three, the breaking of bread. And finally, number four, and there's a few other things, but I'm gonna, we're going to land right here, and the prayers. So highlight, underline, whatever it is, they devoted themselves. And if you want to make special note and underline the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And so the same things that marked the early church, I want to mark you and I this summer. And so we're going to talk about three things. We're only going to focus in on three things this morning. And I don't even know if we'll get to those three. We're just going to, I promise I'm not going to keep you hostage too long. Um, But the three things that we're going to try to get to this morning, number one is their devotion. Number two is the scriptures. And number three is their fellowship. Their devotion, the scriptures, and their fellowship. And I think if we were talking about us this morning, it would be our devotion, the scriptures, and our fellowship here at Inspire over the summer. And so let's, let's jump right into this and talk about that word devotion. Are you ready? All significant spiritual growth is sustained by devotion. Devotion is where a disciple can get it all right or a disciple can get it all wrong. Devotion is one of the most difficult things that a disciple has to cultivate. Devotion will be where you have some of your most difficult battles. Even the most mature believer that's in here this morning will agree with me that they experience some of the most intense warfare in the area of their devotion. So the question is, what really is devotion? Well, devotion is defined in the dictionary simply as this, love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person, activity, or a cause. Now, in the context of verse 42, the English word devotion comes from a Greek word that's originally used there. And the Greek word is this, proskatereo, proskatereo. And that Greek word means persistent or continual. So proskatereo is a combination of pros and katereo. Pros means forward and katereo means enduring strength. So listen to this. The power of devotion is in its continuation. Amen. It's not a one-time deal. It's consistent. It's reoccurring. It's unwavering. Devotion is determined to remain uninterrupted, which means devotion doesn't take vacations. Now, I know for those of you that know me, you're thinking to yourself, I know where you're going with this, Pastor Phil. You're trying to guilt me to attend church on Sundays in the summer. Because typically we know that church in the summer takes a dip in attendance. Maybe. <laughs> but there's something, else, uh, there's something else that I'm actually getting at. I want you to know this. Devotion is fueled by love, not manipulation. I want you to take note right now, or in your mind, or if you're writing notes, I want you to take three things. Take notes. Three things regarding devotion. Are you ready for this? Here it is. Number one, what you're devoted to, you'll do first. Your time communicates your priorities. Number two, what you're devoted to, you won't need too much convincing. I don't need to manipulate you or convince you too much, right? I won't need to pull your teeth. You won't need to come kicking and screaming, amen? And number three, you ready for this? What you're devoted to, you will do without complaint, right? Let me say those three things again. Three things I think you should understand about devotion before we go forward. Before you think, oh, Phil, are you manipulating me? No, I don't want to manipulate you. Devotion is fueled by love. Three things I want you to know. Number one, what you're devoted to, you will do first. What you're devoted to, you will not need much convincing. And number three, what you're devoted to, you will do without complaint. Why? Because devotion is fueled by love. It comes from a place, are you ready? It comes from a place of desire and not obligation. In fact, Inspire Church needs leaders. Inspire Church needs members who will go from I have to to I want to. 
If we're going to accomplish the mission that God has called us to accomplish. Now, I just want to share a story about my life, and hopefully you can connect with it, and it can help you better understand devotion. I remember when I first came back to Christ, I was somewhere around a year 23 years old, and I felt like God gave me some simple instructions. I felt like while reading the word and while praying, I felt like this is what the Lord told me when I first started to come back to him. He said this, Philip, study your Bible. Philip, pray. Philip, go to church. In fact, it sounds like my mother. <laughs> parents, if you do it right, God will sound a little bit like your parents. <laughs> Philip, study your Bible. Philip, pray. Philip, go to church. Philip, serve the church. <laughs> now, this isn't exactly Mount Sinai stuff, y'all, right? I mean, you know, there was no fire and thunder and wind. And, you know, the Lord came down and said, Philip, right? Um, there was nothing profound about what I just said. It was nothing earth-shattering about what God was telling me. Now, this kind of reminds me of something, and I always tell you to put your seatbelts on. I'm going to get on a soapbox right now, so please stay with me here. But I'm going to go on a soapbox. Um, that's part of our problem, some of us are looking for the spectacular while God is calling you to be faithful in the mundane. Can I tell you a secret? And you can disagree with me, but the spectacular is not going to transform you. It's your devotion in the mundane that will make you the most kingdom impactful. You don't believe me, do you? Well, let me just tell you, why don't you turn to John 666. I know that sounds terrible. John 666, and you don't have to go there, but you know what John 666 is? It's one of the worst scriptures in all the Bible. It says, and they walked with him no more. You know what that was? You know, after Jesus turned all these miracles and did all these things, and he, turned, he multiplied the bread, he did all of these sideshows. After he did all that, he said something difficult, and they turned away and didn't walk with him because it was too difficult what he was saying. The miracle didn't keep them. It interested them, but it didn't keep them. Are you ready for this? The spectacular may draw you in, but it won't keep you. Christianity is not a sideshow. It's not a circus. And if we're not careful, we'll lead our lives in a way that says, well, if you stop doing magic trips, God, I might just move on. But remember, it's not in the spectacular where you're conformed into the image of Christ, but it's in the mundane. I know that's hard to hear, especially for those of us that seek adventure. Back to my story, I remember thinking, uh, you know, the Lord told me these unspectacular things. And I remember thinking to myself, and I remember actually telling God, um, well, you want me to go to church, but I don't like it. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. You know what's really crazy about me? I was the last one in church and the first one out. Remember that, Pastor Sherry? She would be back there watching me. She, she was doing single adults ministry at the time, and I was a single adult. She was trying to be like, hey, you want to come to single adults? I was like, nope. <laughs> right? So what do I mean by being the last one there? I think I showed up after worship. Amen? <laughs> right? I was like, when worship goes all along, I'm not quite sure, you know. I'm not connecting like everybody else I could do without the music. I'll listen to the word for a little bit. But then, like, when they start praying at the end, I'm just going to head out. Just enough for my mom to see me because I lived at the house, and that's what I had to do. I mean, I love Jesus. I'm going to be honest. I, I was born and raised in church or whatnot, but I still, isn't that crazy? You could be, I think sometimes people who are born and raised in church are the hardest ones to get to enjoy. Right? Some of us people are born and raised in church or we serve the church sometimes or whatever. We get real antsy. We can't, you know, it's, we can't, it's hard to even sit in a message anymore. It's tough. It happens. But um, so I remember telling God, I don't like going to church. Um, and then I remember telling God, you know what? The longest prayers that I pray are prayers for my food. Because <laughs> he told me, go to church. And I said, well, I don't like it. Then he said, I need you to learn to pray. And I was like, well, I don't really know how to pray. I, you know, here's what I know. Thank you, Jesus, for my food. Make it nourishing to my body. Bless, bless the hands that made it in Jesus' name. Amen. Right? I kind of prayed that prayer for like 15 years of my life. And, you know, you're, you're standing over a sloppy pizza. You're like, Lord, just make this thing nourishing to my body. Right? You're not, you, we, Christians, we don't even know what we say sometimes. That just shows you that we don't have a relationship. It's a routine. Uh, please don't pray that the Lord would nourish your burrito. 
Some of you are like, well, why? That's messed up. I'm not, don't be religious about it. He's not going to do it. He's like, well, I've created Chipotle for you, and you're over here at El Gallo. You know what I'm saying? I'm just playing. And I'm not mad at it. I'm just saying, no, what? Start realizing. What are you praying? Take this sloppy pizza, Lord. Just we rebuke the calories in the name of Jesus. And I feel like I could say that because I've been trying to eat a little better. Can you all tell a little bit? Come back a month from now. I'm not even going to touch that in Scripture. <laughs> And here's the even funnier part. He called me to study my Bible, and I said, you know what? I don't, I don't like church. I really don't pray that much, and studying the Bible is tough. In fact, whenever I've tried, anybody ever tried to read the Bible and just like, I'm done? You ever prayed Bible roulette? Anybody ever heard of Russian roulette? That's with a gun, <laughs> right? And it's where you put a bullet in there, and you spin it, and then you click, and you, right? For anyone who's crazy in here. Bible roulette is where you just stop. And then you just read whatever chapter comes up. Come on, be honest. Y'all played Bible roulette. Lord, give me something, Lord. I need something. And there was a mighty pestilence in the land. And all the Israelites were destroyed. They had sores in their mouth. What is going on? Here's what happens when you do Bible roulette. You do one of two things. You open up to some obscure Old Testament passage. You have no clue what it means. Or some judgment passage. And you're like, oh, yes, God, I'm in sin. That's why I'm playing Bible roulette. (laughs) But here's what I realized what God was really saying to me. And I hope that you would just take this in maybe as a word for yourself. He was saying this. I'm not asking for your doing. I'm asking for your devotion. And my, my response was, Lord, then make me devoted because right now there is no devotion in what I'm doing. And maybe that's where some of you are this summer. Some of you, there's some Bible scholars in here. You could study the Bible all day, dissect it, the Greek. And there's some of you in here this morning, it's like, you know what? Every time I read the Bible, I just don't get nothing out of it. And so maybe your prayer isn't help me dissect the Bible. Maybe your prayer says, Lord, I just want to be devoted Because I don't feel a passion for church. I don't feel a passion for ministry. I don't feel a passion for the word. I know I love you, but I don't have a passion. It's missing in my life. And so maybe your prayer is, I just want to be passionate about the things of God. But can I warn you? Don't pray it. Be careful. Because I prayed that prayer, and now I'm the first one in and the last one out. And I preached the thing that I totally didn't, I Russian roulette in the past. Are you with me? Now I'm like spending like 20, 30 hours a week just studying the Bible. Some of you are like, I don't want to do all that. (laughs) But I'm passionate about what at first I wasn't very passionate. I was indifferent to. Are you with me? So going back to the text, what was the early church devoted to? Well, there were several things, but we're focusing on to the scriptures and their fellowship. Now, I don't know if I'm going to get to their fellowship this morning, but I do want to get to the scriptures this morning. After all, if you looked at the core values of our church, you would know that the first core value is, thank you, theology. Let's say that together. The first, the first core value is Community and mission, theology, community, and mission. Those are the three things that we want to dedicate our lives to. And from those three things, we believe other things will birth forth in beauty and in the kingdom. And theology is just knowing the Lord rightly. In order to know him rightly, we have to know him through his word. Amen? Now, I want you to think about it. According to verse 42, the word of the apostles was the foundation of the Christian movements. Devotion then to the apostles' teaching, which means the New Testament, was the way that the early church, are you ready? Devotion to the apostles' teaching. The apostles taught basically the New Testament. They wrote the New Testament, amen. The the devotion to what the apostles were teaching was the way that the early church applied the lordship of Jesus to their lives. And guess what? Nothing has changed. So Here's what I'm going to do for you note takers. I'm going to give you two whys and one how to help you break the scriptures in this summer. 
Are you ready for this? Here we go. Number one, why should I break in the scriptures this summer? Because to know God is to love God. I said to know God is to love God. We need to begin seeing the scriptures as the unique revelation of a loving father to his kids. Are you ready? We need to see it as a loving father giving himself to his children. I've always loved this thought. Prayer is how you and I talk to God. Reading the word is how God talks back to us. I get a little frustrated when I hear people say, and stay with me here, God isn't speaking to me. You know, I'm just not hearing God. I feel like that he's silent. I feel like God has hid himself from me. I haven't heard from the Lord in a while. Now, I want you to see this. As a sinful man, I am an imperfect father to my son, P3. No, I didn't name him that. His name is Philip. But as a sinful man, I am very much imperfect the way that I father my son. But can I tell you this? I would never hide myself from him when he needs me. If my son is in distress, if he's in danger, if he's in tears, if he's making a noise that doesn't sound like it's pleasant, I will not sit and say, let me hide myself and not go over there and see what's going on. I will run to my son who needs me. And I am an imperfect father. And God is the perfect heavenly father. He will not hide his face from you. And so let me tell you, the Bible is God's self-disclosure. He's revealing himself to us. With the scriptures, we know God and we know what he desires. We know what he likes. We know what he doesn't like. We know how he feels towards us. Without the scriptures, we are lost with no revelation of salvation. The scriptures is the revelation of God's love, a father's love to his children. Whenever you feel like God is being silent, go to the scriptures because he's speaking loud and clear. Are you with me? If you're having a tough time hearing from God, you might be looking in the wrong places to find him. Open your Bible. Now, can he speak to you in prayer? Yes. Can he speak to you in a dream? He can. But have you heard or some of your dreams recently? Have you, there sometimes there's some dreams there might be something in it. And there's other dreams that's just not in it. <laughs> Amen? It's your flesh. But the scriptures should be the first and the primary place in which we go to to hear from the Lord. So if you're not dreaming, if you're not hearing, then you go to the word. Yeah? Number two, why the scriptures? <laughs> I battle with this one, okay? Um, and I'll explain why. Because experience is not God enough. I, I initially was going to write good enough, but I think experiences aren't God enough. I battled this one because this is important for our community at Inspire Church. And I have an internal tension that goes on. And I'm going to bring you all into it, okay? Can I be honest with you? Um, I believe there's a great threat to our faith today. And you know what I believe one of the greatest, greatest threats to our faith today is? It's this. It's the mistake that some Christians make. And placing their experiences, emotions, feelings, and even dreams above the word of God. I battle with that tension. And those of you that are close to me, you know this. You know this. You know, I've often in my life in ministry come across people searching for an experience to better know God. But for me, this is dangerous, and I'll tell you why. Believers looking for feelings will more often times find themselves frustrated. You'll be a frustrated believer if the foundation of your Christianity is based on feelings. It's based on experiences. 
You'll be frustrated. Everywhere you go, you just won't, you'll feel unsettled. You'll even start critiquing, and you, that's not how it's supposed to be done. And I just, I'm okay, I'm, I'm okay with the expressions of the faith, but not at the cost that your faith is most tested when your emotions are not there. When the feeling's not there is when your faith is most tested. When I'm not feeling like it, I'm still going to cultivate it. Do so you understand what I mean by that? And so I, I feel like for leaders in the room, members in the room, if you're just visiting today, welcome. I, I just want to share this because I feel like this is so important for our culture. It's a core conviction that I have, and I want to be clear. Our experiences should never define his words, but his words should always define our experiences. And I, and I hear my heart out. This is a core conviction of mine. It's a core. I feel called to guard inspired church from creating a culture that emphasizes spontaneity and experience over God's perfect revelation and call it the Holy Spirit. God is in the spontaneity, but he's in the preparation. And I, as a pastor and the leaders here, have to live in that tension. But he's not more in the spontaneity. And sometimes I feel like we, we put more on the combustion of the moment and not realize that there's prayer going on behind the scenes. Not realizing that there's studying of the scriptures, by the way, that the Holy Spirit wrote. And that every time the word of God is being preached, guess what? The spirit is being moved. You with me? Can I explain to you why? We need, we're a why generation, and, that's it, and I love the word. It gives us a why. Let me, can I, let me break it down to you because I know ah, it's a tension. Scripture is something we all have the opportunity to participate in understanding and interpreting. You know that? We all, it's the same word. And you and I all have the opportunity in participating it, interpreting it, going to the historic. You, you guys get that? But did you know private experiences, on the other hand, we don't all have access to? None of us have the ability to confirm or deny the experience because we didn't share in it. And so though you may feel it's true because it's from the Lord, somebody else may be on the other end feeling that it's not from the Lord. And then there are two Christians and we got an issue. Now, there's no doubt in my mind God will move through experience. But at the end of the day, if we're going to settle in anywhere, it's going to be in the place that we can lift up and use as an opportunity for all of us to participate in. Yeah? Are you with me? And so when someone preaches another word, when someone looks for something outside of the word, when someone is feeling frustrated but they're not going to the word, I'm concerned. Amen? The danger is when people elevate their private experiences to a place that cannot be examined by the scripture. And so we love experiences, but we downgrade it and we elevate the scripture on top of the experience so that the scripture can discern the experience. Because even if an angel comes to you and gives you something other than what this word is saying, then it's not from God. You know, there are men and women that have been fooled because they've had visitations. Yeah. Cults. I believe they had demonic visitations, but they looked so beautiful. It looked so real. It was Jesus himself. It was this. It was that. And they were given a word. They were given a lifestyle. They were given a commitment to something that contradicted this. But I had a dream, Pastor Phil. It does not matter. We act like the enemy can't show up and look like Jesus. Right? I was with a pastor friend of mine. Now, you're going to see my tension now, okay? I was with a pastor friend of mine, and we were having lunch, and we were talking about the diversity of this church. I love the diversity of this church. Everyone who steps into this church says, man, there are so many different types of people in this church. We got Latinos, amen? We got uh, Asian Americans. We got Pacific Islanders. We got African Americans. We got, we got Caucasians. I don't even know what the proper. I'm, in using all these words, I feel like it's something improper. I just want to say we got white, black, brown. I might not say the other colors. That's racist. We got Mexicans, Fili Filipinos, Puerto Ricans, Swedens. I don't even know if that's a word. Swedes. 
Swedish fish. We're about to go to the Philippines, right? <laughs> but I was talking to him, and everyone notices our diversity. But you know what people don't notice? But him and I were talking about the diversity. By the way, when we get to heaven, it's going to be diverse, baby, so you better get used to it. You better get used to it. So it's like, well, you know, I feel more comfortable. I want to worship with it. And you know what? Praise God. We have that. That's great. When we get to heaven, you better get uncomfortable because there's going to be people not speaking and looking like you. And you know what I'm saying? Because the Holy Spirit breaks through racial barriers. You know what I love about what God does? Can I just go off on another tangent? Here's what God does. He doesn't disrespect the differences. So God's not colorblind. Colorblind is the wrong thing to say. Don't say that Christians are colorblind. No, we appreciate every color. Colorblind is not, you are unique. I love the way that African Americans worship. I love the way the Latinos worship, Asians worship. I love the way all, we, here's what God does. He doesn't disrespect the differences, but he brings them together and they celebrate one God. It's 11.03. I got to go quickly. Oh, yeah. Thank you. God bless you. But he, here's, here's what I was talking about with, with my friend. We weren't talking about the diversity of cultures, although we love. We were talking about, in this room right now, the diversity of church experiences and denominational expressions. There are some of you in here that came from charismatic communities. And you love to, and you're Pentecostal, charismatic. I came from a Pentecostal community with a charismatic leaning. And let me tell you something about Pentecostals. We pray louder than you. We cry harder than you, and we respond to the altar faster than you. That's what we do. And we worship longer than you, too. We'll worship for an hour. And there's eight people blessed. Everyone else is like, holy spirit, right? And there's some of you, it's just like, oh, oh. Some of you are monks. You don't even talk. You know, pretty soon, you know, pretty soon we're going to bring drums up here. I, I hope you all clap because right now you just, on worship, you're just like. You know, we're building our worship team right now. You just thank God, right? But I'm like, wait a minute. Anyway. But we come from different expressions. And so, you know what? This church is a full of a room of people that have a way that they want to do church. And as pastors and leaders, we have to sift through that. And ultimately, somebody is going to be left to decide. Some, ultimately, someone's going to be like, well, that's not how. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that's a tension that I have because there are different. Some of you in here come from a Baptist tradition. Some of you come from a Catholic tradition. Y'all like, you're too crazy. We're in Union City, predominantly a Catholic city. We're going to win this city. There are going to be people who might come in. Are you with me? Are you with me? And so I was talking with my pastor friend because I recognized the tension of all these different. Th and then we have some of you who have never been to church before. You're unchurched or you're de-churched and you, lo you love it. You just think it's great. You don't even realize this tension exists. God bless you. Now you know it, but just stay in your little, stay there. Don't get critical on me. I feel like the longer you know Jesus, it's just like you get more critical. We're supposed to get less critical in here. Amen. But I get it. I get it. We have our preferences. I know. I get it. So I'm talking... You know, I'm talking to my pastor friend about these diversities, and, and here's what he's helped me conclude. And can I help you manage through this tension if you're struggling with it too? Here's what he's helped me conclude. Are you ready for this? We concluded that inspired church, well, while inspired church can be a place where the word people become uncomfortable with the experiences it's also a place where the experiential people will be made uncomfortable by the word. You hear me? This is a place where we're going to exercise unity among division. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants. We're going to raise up leaders and pastors that are going to dialogue and maybe debate about it a little bit. Um, we're going to want to see some things more, some things less, and we're just going to walk in that tension as best we can. Some people part in those tensions, and another church could be planted. Uh, we're going to just follow what the Spirit wants. That may happen, but we're going to glorify God even in the separation if that happens because we know that there is two instead of one. 
Amen? But as we walk through this, and as a pastor, I grow in this, and we grow together, and we define who we are, we're going to manage this tension together, and we're going to dialogue and talk about it openly. I'm going to do my best not to get offended. You're going to do your best not to get offended, and we're going to try to figure this thing out. Right? And if anybody has been to our inspired prayers, you'll know that we do things a little differently than we do on Sunday. There is some spontaneity there. We, do, we have people praying that day, fasting that day. We do worship, and we allow people to come forward, and we just say, tell our prayer warriors, go out there and pray. If you got a word from somebody, we make sure that the people who are praying are mature in their believer, mature in their walk. They've been fasting. And we just go out. And if that breaks over to Sunday morning, I can understand that. But this is where we are. I feel like I'm going real off on this. Now you know why we're. And so I just say, you know what? Until the Lord does something different, we're going to walk in between these tensions of I don't want to even say, because even experienced people, I don't want to act like you put the word to the side. I know you put the word up there. I get it. I don't want to make it look like, but we're going to walk in this tension of beautiful expressions that make some people uncomfortable, but also the word that makes other people, you understand? And we're going to live in this. You know, it's always the, we call them dumb dichotomies. Like, oh, here's the prayer people, and here's the Bible people, and they're like over there. It's just like, no, how about both and? Like, to be a Christian, the last time I checked, prayer and the word we're both a part of what the apostles' teachings were and what, what the early church was doing. Well, that's a worship community, and that's just like, well, can't we all just get together? And maybe if we did, we'd see more missional movements. I'm speaking Christianese this morning, but. Number three, I gave you two whys, right? The first why is because to know God is to love God. Scripture is his self-revelation to his children. You want to love him more. You want to know him more. You want to know him more. You want to read his word. And the second one is because experiences is not God enough. And the third one is this. Are you ready? By far, some of the most frequent questions that Christians ask me are these. Philip, how do I read the scripture? Where do I start? I get that all the time. I get that even from mature believers. Like, I just don't know where to go anymore. You know, I don't know how to start. Like, people, there have been people who come up to me, have been saved 15, 20, 30 years, and have asked me, I just don't get anything when I read the word. So I'm going to attempt to answer this in three steps. Are you ready? So how do I read the word and where do I start? Step number one, faith in the spirit. And all, all, the, all the Pentecostals said, come on now. That's where you came from. Don't forget it. All right, only my mom, amen. <laughs> faith in the spirit. You start by reading the word with faith in the spirit. What do I mean by that? Do you know that the word of God is foolishness to the unbeliever? Do you know that they can read these pages and think how ridiculous this is? Do you know I went to Bible school with an atheist who got their master's degree in the word? And I looked at him, I said, why are you here? Well, it's just such a fascinating book. I want to study and teach it. I know. Gosh, an atheist is more devoted to the word than a lot of Christians I know. I don't know. Let that sink in. Faith in the spirit. But do you know, for the most part, to the unbeliever, to the unregenerate mind, the word of God is foolishness. You know, Scripture is a spiritual text. It was written by the Holy Spirit, and it was written to spiritual people that would understand. And I like to call, you when you read the Word, you need the spirit of translation, amen? You ever been in a Spanish-speaking service, you don't speak Spanish? That happened to me often when I was a kid. I need a translator to understand this Word. It's a good Word. I mean, the guy's going, but I can't understand it. When I get a translator, I'm able to understand. That's when you read the Word, you need to invite the Holy Spirit to translate that Word to your life. Here's a good rule of thumb. Uh, something I've learned and something I want to teach you right now about the Word. Remember these three um, descriptions, revelation, inspiration, illumination. I'm going to tell you what each three means. A good rule of thumb when it comes to reading the Word of God. What is revelation? Revelation is when God reveals himself. And I know we use this language a lot, but I don't want you to go around being critical now when somebody says this. But try not to use the word, I got a revelation. That doesn't happen no more. And and let me tell you something. God is the only one that could reveal. Because, look, you and I are not, we are not God to understand God. And so in order to understand God, he had to reveal himself. We, could, we speculate, 
but he gave us the truth. So God revealed himself. That's revelation. Yeah? What's inspiration? Inspiration is what the Holy Spirit does through the authors as they were writing what God was revealing. Oh, you guys were real quiet on that one. Guess what? You are not inspired. And I know our church is called Inspired Church, right? <laughs> but nothing you say is inspired by God, right? His word as revealed by him to the authors who in the Holy Spirit were inspired to write. Yeah? So then where does that leave us? Illumination is what the Holy Spirit does to his word when you and I are reading it. You ready? So whenever you're about to go into the scriptures, pray first. Invite the Holy Spirit to illuminate the text. I once heard somebody say, the Bible is the only book you can read and the author will show up and help you read it if you invite him to. Every time you read that word, the author is there to translate to your life. And so before you read, why don't you reach out to the Holy Spirit and say, illuminate the text to me so that I can understand what you're saying. Amen. Start by inviting the author to come. Number two, study. Don't just read. This is a tough one. Study. Don't just read. What do I mean by that? A common mistake people make when they're reading the word is that they begin with the question, what's in it for me? And maybe you don't have it in your mind, but ultimately you're, you're opening the Bible because you need something for who? I, I mean, I need something for me. I need something for me. And that's all, the only time you're in your, I need something for me. I'm going through something. I need something. I think God can move in that. He's sovereign, right? He's not, we don't need these study techniques to get a per God will speak. But here's a good rule of thumb is instead of going into the text and asking what's in it for me, don't start there. You know, this is why Bible roulette Never works. You always land, like I said, on an obscure text or a judgment text, and you have no idea what's going on. Like, what's in it for me? Oh, I hope that's not in it for me. <laughs> you know, right? Try reading Job's story. I don't want that to be in it for me. Amen? Here's a good way to see scripture. Ready? The Bible was written for me, not to me. And that sounds weird. This eye, maybe. The Bible was written for me, not to me. Hmm. What do I mean by that? There's a historical setting that's not ours. There's a culture that's not ours. There's a geography, a political climate. There's religious, 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 religious ideologies that are not ours are you with me and when we are aware of those and when we go into the text knowing that those things exist it actually makes the word much richer in its meaning this is so big try not to read a scripture in isolation by itself right you ever just pick the scripture and i can do all things amen and that's beautiful but read the entire chapter and understand what it's saying. I, one of my pet peeves, but I just like, this is me, Lord. I just need forgiveness. And I, the Holy Spirit can use anything, okay? I, I need to make sure I'm not towing the line in my over-the-top legalistic mannerism. The Holy Spirit can take one word and illuminate your life and change. And you got saved. Like, I don't even know it meant that, but I just, you know, <laughs> right? And so I'm not taking that away. But I'm saying as we grow in maturity as believers and we want to get a richer, fuller text, because some of us are at a stopping point right now. Like, I've gone as far as I can go. Um, this is what I mean is study the word. Don't just read the word. Amen. And remember, each word is a part of a sentence. Each sentence is part of an argument, which is part of a book or a letter. And each book or letter is part of an even bigger picture called the Old Testament and the New Testament. Are you with me? Now, there is room for the question, what's in it for me? But that question should be the last question, not the first question. Are you guys, I, 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 talk to me a little bit. Are you here with me? I know it's a little different this morning. You guys here with me? Like the, that, There's room for the question, what's in it for me? But that should be the last thing you ask. There should be some other questions you ask before. Now, you might ask, well, Phil, what are those questions? I'm going to give you four 
Well, I'm going to give you three, and then we'll end with the fourth one that we all know. Here you go. Question number one. When you go to a text, I dare you to ask this question. Who was this text written to? When the author originally wrote it, who was he writing it to? Was he writing it to the Israelites captive in Babylon? Was he writing it to, um, was he writing it to uh, this individual or that? Was he right? Who is the subject? Who is the person that the Holy Spirit is speaking to in that moment? Are you with me? Yes. Question number two. First one is, who is this written to? Second question is, what is this text saying to them? What is this text saying to them? So who did he write it to? And what is this text telling that person? Or that group or that people. Number three, what is this text saying about God? How is God revealing himself to his people? Number four, how does this fit with the rest of scripture? Yeah? Who is it written to? What is the text saying today? I know some of you are like, yeah, you know I do this all the time. No, you don't. Don't lie. You all should be taking notes in your mind, on your paper, whatever the case may be. If you're not, that's part of the problem. Who was this text written to? What is this text saying to them? What does this text say about God? And how does this fit with the rest of what Scripture is saying? And guess what number five is? What's in it for me? <laughs> you get that? What's in it for me now? Now that I know who was written to, why it was written to them, what it said about God, how it fits in the big picture, I can finally safely say, what's in it for me? What can I pull from there? What can I pull from their experience? What can I pull from how God is revealing himself to the people who were in captivity? Amen. Last thing I want to say is Jesus on every page. I'm going to have the worship team come up. Jesus on every page when you're reading scripture. God bless you. Jesus on every page. This is key. Jesus on every page. Did you know that the Old Testament looks forward to Jesus? Did you know that the Old Testament foreshadows Jesus? Did you know that you can read the Old Testament and see Jesus on every page? If you look at the New Testament, did you know that the New Testament explains Christ? Do you know that? His birth, his death, his life, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. Did you know that the, Old, the New Testament also records how after he leaves those who believed in him and followed him, that they planted churches that would do the same? That's why you and I are here. We are the result of that faithfulness. And so... Since the scripture is all about him, can I tell you a good place to start? You ready for this? Start in the Gospels. This morning, you're, you're like, you know, this summer I want to start a summer read in scripture. I want to break in a holy habit of studying scripture. And maybe you've been around the block for a while. You've been breaking in these habits. And you know what? Here it is. Some of you are dedicating yourself, which means this will be the first time. Some of you hear God's calling to what? rededicate yourself and you know what my suggestion is get into Matthew and see how far you can read then go to Mark see how far you can read and study then go to Luke see how far you can read and study and go to John and read the Gospels because it's not only just the center of Scripture but it's about Christ in which we lay our lives down for in which we take that window and in which we read the Old Testament and the New Testament and when you read it, don't read it for what's in it for me. Why don't you read it about Jesus? Just take observations. What kind of man was he? How do he respond to some things? What, what, what made him excited? You know, it's really cool when you read the Gospels. You're going to see Jesus in a whole different way. He's kind of a little feisty sometimes. Sometimes a little crazy. Like he's flipping tables over and making whips. And you're like, this is not the Jesus I learned in, the, you know, in Sunday school. But will you, will you read the Gospels to know the man who is God. And then from that, will you, just, will you just move forward in who Jesus is calling you to be? We're going to get ready this morning to take communion. And if you recall, can we put uh, Acts 42 back up there real quick? 
What's going to happen is you have, and we're going to do this quickly. We're almost done, guys. We have three stations. The station here is one, station two, station three. Do we have a station in the back or just the, okay. So we have one, two, and three. And most of you are familiar with this. Um, we're going to invite you to take communion with us this morning. And we're going to take communion and then we're done. Okay? And can I just give you some special instructions real quick? This may sound exclusive, but communion is exclusive. And I want to be faithful to Scripture. So here's what I want you to do. If you're a follower of Christ, you repented of your sin and you believe in Jesus, I'm inviting you to partake of the communion with us. If you're not a follower of Christ, I'm inviting you just to observe. Just to observe this morning. When we take communion, it's definitely for those that have put their trust and faith in Christ. And so there's no judgment or whatnot. You're just here. I just say if you're a visitor. Um, and you, you don't have to be a member of the church. But all, in order to take communion, I want to invite you to the table. But I want to invite you to the table and make sure you know how important it is for you to be uh, a, um, a follower of Christ. Amen? And so as we get ready for communion, we're going to play some worship, and people are going to get out. And, you know, no one's, no one's even going to notice. And if you don't want to go to that table, that's fine. Um, but I, definitely, if you're a believer, we want to invite you to take that with us this morning. Amen? And so let's read Acts 2.42. Um, it says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And that's kind of where we stopped this morning. Um, but there's, they also devoted themselves to the fellowship. And what else? The breaking of what? Now, for those of you that are foodies, I want you to know that, yes, that does mean that the early church had dinner together. Amen? The Lord is commanding that. All right. Tough crap. But breaking of bread also means participating in communion together. And the church, when they came together, they commemorated what Christ did on the cross, and they did it together as a family. So that's what we're going to do right now. So here's what's going to happen is we're going to worship. We're going to start worshiping. And while we're worshiping, um, I'm going to invite you again to one of these stations. And will you just grab one cracker? In one cup, head back to your seat, we'll worship for a little longer, and then we'll take communion together as a family, and then we'll end. Amen? Amen. Is that okay? All right. So let's go ahead and worship, and then whenever you're ready, you can just kind of head out and go from there. And then I'll give you some instructions, and we'll, we'll finish together. Amen? Hallelujah.
on. Come on, we'll take communion in just a moment. Let's sing this together. In your name I will arise to declare your victory. Come on. The resurrected King. Come on, can we just make this our, our heart song right now? By your spirit I rise from the ashes of defeat. Come on, the resurrected King. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. take a moment now we're almost we're almost finished will you just take a moment to examine your heart before we take this because even as Christians and believers we know that we're not perfect we hold grudges against our brothers or our sisters uh, maybe there's something that happened this past week that we feel like you know we just didn't measure up to the cross and and and, and so what we want to do is we want to focus on the grace and forgiveness of Christ and we'll I'm gonna give you just a couple of moments just right where you're at will you just quietly repent in your heart of anything that maybe just felt short of the gospels uh, this week and let's just take a moment just right where you're at hallelujah this bread and this cup represents Every time I've tripped and I've fell, that your blood and your broken body has covered it. And that even if I'm standing here this morning feeling guilty, the heavens are saying not guilty. Through our repentance and our belief in Jesus. And so I repent. Well, will you repent in this one? Repent of this sinful behavior. I repent there's anything inside of me that didn't measure up I repent even of those sins I'm not even aware of because we're just such unrighteous people and this was a three week series I was supposed to go over Koinonia community this morning but I think I'm going to wait on that but let me just say this the beauty about the body of Christ is that when we take the cup and we take the bread you notice that Jesus didn't say do it alone we do it together we call it communion, right? Community, connection, right? Communication. All these things happen when multiple people are in one place. And that the body of Christ was never meant to be divided or splintered. That you and I are taking the blood and the body of Christ next to fellow believers. It's not me. It's us in this moment. And so can we corporately repent together? And so we repent as a church. We repent as a people. Where we fall short, even in community, in connecting with other believers, in forgiving other believers. We repent of our pettiness. We repent of all of these walls that we've put up to divide ourselves from the body. And we just tear them down and we sit next with our brother and sister as imperfect as we are. And we celebrate the perfect beauty of Jesus. And with that being said, this is, let us all look at the bread. This is this body. He said, this is my body that has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Every time you take this bread, I want you to think about the brokenness of my body on the cross. Let's take the bread together. Same with the cup. Let's look at the cup. This cup, symbolic of the new covenant purchased by his blood and his blood stained that cross but it washed washed our heart washed our minds so we thank you for his blood that's shed that unites the church in this beautiful new covenant new people new creation let's take the cup together symbolic of his blood
Heavenly Father, we love you. As we break in this summer and as we plan for an amazing summer full of vacations, full of fun, I pray with that same enthusiasm and joy, we would plan to break in holy habits that would lead to some of the biggest growth we've seen in our lives this summer. May husbands and wives put plans together to grow in Christ this summer. May families put plans together. May relationships put plans together. And may we grow in love and unity with one another. And may we grow in your word. We love you. We ask that you be with us. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. We love you. Next week, come back. It'll be the second part of this series. Who knows where we're going to go? <laughs> love you, guys. God bless you, guys.